Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Amen. Hey, if you have a Bible while you're being seated, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 4. And uh, we're going to do something just a little bit different today. We are going to be, uh, I'm going to give you kind of the whole outline of where we're going this morning before we ever look at it or read it so you kind of know the direction we're moving in. But we're in week two of a teaching series called In His Steps. And so last week we looked at the idea of what it means to be called to walk with Jesus. We talked about being disciples of Jesus and that he has called us into this relationship to follow along with him. And the initial call was just, hey, come follow me, come be with me. And so now what we're going to pick up with in Mark's gospel is the things that as the disciples of Jesus are following him, are walking with him, what are they learning about him? What are they discovering? What do we need to know about who Jesus really is? Because the things that we're going to find as we see these passages unfold this morning is that there's more to Jesus than maybe we really think that there is. And it's easy for us sometimes to think we've kind of got Jesus figured out or we put him in a box or we kind of got this idea of who he is, but then there's more and more that he reveals of himself to show us who he really is and what he's really about. And so that's what the disciples are going to experience today. But I'm going to go ahead and give you kind of the big picture and then we're going to come back around. You're going to hear um, the story told through reading of scripture. Uh, And then we're also going to see a video that I shot from Israel on the location of one of the stories and where it took place, uh, a story you're probably a little bit familiar with, and then we'll come back around to the end and I'm going to read the last part of the story. So before we do that, here's what I want you to see. If you're taking notes this morning and you want to, uh, to follow along, some things that you might want to write down is this, that Jesus demonstrates power over nature and that he has the ability to bring peace in the storm. Like That's the first thing that we're going to see. Jesus has power over nature, and he brings peace to the storm. The second thing that we're going to see is that Jesus demonstrates power over evil, and that he brings the ability to restore a broken mind. Like I said, Jesus has power over evil and has the ability to restore a broken mind. The third thing that we're going to find as we walk through this story with Jesus today is that Jesus has power over disease, and that he has the ability to restore our health. That he can do that. He's going to move into a story today where we see that take place. And then the final thing is this, that Jesus demonstrates power over death. And he's going to restore life to a little 12-year-old girl that dies in the middle of the story. And so we're going to see all of those things come into play this morning as we watch all of this unfold. And the way that Mark writes this story, it's things that happen one after another after another. It's one day in the life of Jesus. Like that's how Mark presents it. So we're going to see the beginning of him being in a storm, showing up at a place where he has to to show power over evil, then moving back across the sea to where he's going to demonstrate his power in someone's life when it comes to their health. And then finally, we're going to see him demonstrate power even over death and restore a little girl to life. So with that being known as where we're going today, let's read some of this together. I'm going to ask Alex Johnson to come and he's going to read the beginning of the story in Mark chapter four, starting in verse 35. We're going to see that, and then we'll come back around to the end of it. Good morning. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. 
a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. When Jesus crosses over the Sea of Galilee and comes to the area of the Decapolis, or uh, it's a Gentile area, he performs his miracles of feeding the 5,000 in Jewish territory, and then they cross the lake, they come into the area of the Gerasenes. Uh, Jesus comes up onto the shore, and the Bible says that as soon as he crossed into the region of the Gerasenes, uh, that a man came running to him who was demon-possessed. The man was naked, had been living among the tombs, and, uh, and came running to Jesus. You're probably familiar with the story most of all because when Jesus cast the demon out of the man, or the demons, plural, out of the man, uh, he, he tells him, we're legion, we're many, uh, that, that they asked, don't send us into the abyss. They called Jesus the Son of God. They knew exactly who Jesus was. They said, don't send us into the abyss. They were afraid to be tortured by Jesus as the Son of God, but they said, send us into the pigs. And so this area where I'm standing has cave walls behind me that are... Uh, most likely where Jesus came up onto shore and the man came running to him, the, the, the caves were where he lived. That was the tombs of people who were buried in this area. And then uh, the pigs would have just been on these mountainsides, grazing and being taken care of and tended to. And then when the, the demons ran into the pigs, they would have rushed down the hill and directly into the water in the Sea of Galilee and drown in the sea. So the story of the man who was healed of demons. And the interesting part of this whole story to me is that when the people come to Jesus and and find out what's going on, he actually, they're, they're afraid of him. He's just healed this man of demons, a man that they have known and been tortured by most of their lives because he's been uncontrollable. And yet when Jesus casts the demons out of this man and he's in his right mind and he's sitting with Jesus clothed, the people come up and they're not excited about that. They want Jesus to leave. They want him to leave the area because they're afraid and they're, they're terrified of what Jesus is able to do and capable of. Uh, and, and so they just send him away. And the man asks, can I go with you? He wants to go with Jesus. And Jesus says, no, go home, be reunited with your people and go show the people what you've done. And that man did. He went and he proclaimed God and his truth of Jesus uh, in the Decapolis and let people know that Jesus had come and was the Messiah. And so as soon as that takes place, you've got this idea that Jesus has calmed a storm, that he's landed on shore, he's met this man, he's cast out demons, and then the people immediately say, all right, I know you just got here, but we want you to leave, right? And so it's several miles across the lake, uh, and then they go, get back in your boat and head off to the other side because we don't want you here. So Jesus essentially gets back in his boat. We don't know exactly, scripture doesn't tell us exactly where he went. Uh, History kind of tells us, but scripture doesn't say. But immediately across the lake from where Jesus is here, 
here is a town called Migdal. We know it now as Magdala. It's where Mary Magdalene was from. Uh, and so in Migdal, there is a church that's dedicated to, uh, to several things. One is the women who were involved in Jesus's ministry. And two were the miracles that Jesus did around the Sea of Galilee. And one of the reasons that we believe this is the location that he went is that the miracle that we're about to read about next is highly talked about in this place. And so um, there's a painting in the, the bottom of the church that's built in this location of Migdal that we went and saw. And in this painting, I think we got a picture of it for you, uh, is a picture of the woman who comes to Jesus and she touches him on his garments to be healed of an order of blood that she's had for 12 years. Uh, and so I bought a copy of this. Uh, that one is about the size of this wall behind me. And I didn't buy that. Uh, I did buy that print back there and had it framed for us. And so we're going to hang that in our church as a way to remind people that when Jesus comes into our lives and moves into a place and brings his power, that there's nothing that's impossible for him to do. And so we live in faith in that. But here's how that story kind of unfolds. When Jesus goes back across the Sea of Galilee and he ends up in this area, here's what we find uh, in verse... 21. When Jesus had crossed again by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him and while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell down at his feet and he pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and she'll live. So Jesus went with him and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. And she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. So let's stop there for just a second. It's incredible to see this woman's faith in Jesus and his power to heal. But at the same time, that Jesus stops and has this conversation that he's dealing with with this woman who's touched his clothes and has been healed from this, there's still the issue of the man who came to him originally, right? When Jesus lands on shore, Jairus, a synagogue leader, walks up and goes, my little girl is dying. Teacher, rabbi, I need you to come and bring health to her, bring healing to her. Will you come? And so Jesus has been on his way to Jairus's house. And in the middle of that, all of this other stuff is happening. The crowds are pressing around him. This woman touches him. Jesus stops and has this conversation. And there's this, all these, these emotions that are going into this. And it's in that moment that we realize, hey, while this is a great thing, and I'm so glad Jesus stopped and talked to this lady, there's still a little girl that's dying over here. We've got to get to her, right? And so here's where we pick back up in the story. There's this pressing need. Verse 35 says, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? And overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And when he went in to see them, and he said, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him. And he went into where the child was. He took her by the hand and he said, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. 
At this, they were completely astonished. And he gave strict orders not to tell anyone about this and told them to give her something to eat. All right, now we've heard these four stories. And as we read through these events, these accounts in the life of Jesus in this day that Mark tells us about, we kind of ask, all right, what are the common denominators of all of these things? What's the themes that are flowing through these events that Mark has stitched together and told us about? And here's what I want us to see. The first thing that you're going to find in this is that the common denominator is that there is a desperation from people. Like they are coming to Jesus with desperation. They have needs that can't be met any other way than having Jesus step into them. Whether it's being in the storm, being on land with uh, demon possession, being somebody who's been bleeding for 12 years, or being a little girl that's died. There are people who are coming to Jesus and saying, we're desperate for you to do something to change our situation. Right? So that's the first common denominator. The second thing that we're going to see is unlimited power from Jesus. That Jesus has unlimited power to step into these things and do something about it that no one else can. That only Jesus can make an impact and make a difference here. So here's one of the main things that I hope we walk away with today. In the course of following Jesus, I hope we realize that we may not know him as well as we think we do that he's even more than we've imagined. And we're going to see this as these stories unfold. And I'm going to run back through each of these four stories again. And we're going to walk back through them. And we're going to see that everywhere along the way, as Jesus has called his disciples to follow him, that there is something about being near Jesus that they go, all right, I think we've kind of got it. We've we've identified that we think he's the Messiah. We kind of know in our minds what that means. He's going to be a, a religious leader. He's going to be a military leader. He's going to get rid of Rome. He's going to bring Jerusalem and, and Israel back to power. And the capital city is going to be restored. And we're going to be our own nation again without Rome's influence. And we've kind of got Jesus figured out. That's what he's going to do. That's what he's going to be. That's how he's going to help. He's that Messiah, right? But Jesus, as his disciples follow him, starts saying, I want you guys to recognize there's even more to me than what you know. So much more. And what we have to do is get to a place where we realize if you think you've got Jesus cornered, if you think you've got him in a box that you've identified who he is and what he is and what he's capable of in your life, that there is more to Jesus than you even know. And so here's what we're going to find as we kind of roll back through these stories. The first thing that we see is in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, the disciples think they're going to die right? Now, let me just tell you something. I've not spent a lot of time on boats. I've never really been in the ocean when there's been a crazy storm. But if guys who live on the water and are fishermen for a living are scared of a storm, it's a bad storm, okay? Just going to go ahead and throw that out there. You guys can all agree with it because they're terrified. They're going, we're going to die out here. Jesus, don't you even care? And what's Jesus doing? He's asleep in the boat, right? Like he's not bothered by this storm. He's asleep on a pillow in the boat. Like that's awesome. Jesus took naps. I just love that, right? And so he's asleep and they come and they wake him and they're like, don't you care that we're going to die? And what does Jesus do? He stands up and he speaks to nature. Quiet, be still. And the ocean stops or the sea stops and the wind dies down and the rain ceases. And in the middle of that, I think in this moment, the disciples are more terrified of Jesus than they are of the storm that they were just in. Because they ask the question. I mean, they have this moment where they ask, who is it that even the wind and the waves obey him? Right, so here's the moment where the disciples are looking at each other and going, did you know he could do that? I didn't know he could do that. 
Were you aware that he could talk to nature and it just did what he said? Because we haven't seen that part yet. We've seen Jesus heal some people. We've seen Jesus teach people. We knew that part of him. Did you know that he could speak to the nature and it would listen and obey? I didn't know that. There's more to Jesus than they could imagine. He brought his power to their desperation and he met their needs. So this is Jesus. Then we see him get to shore. And the first thing that happens is when they run up onto shore, they, they kind of drift up onto shore in their boat, they get out, and there's this man who comes running at Jesus. Mark doesn't tell us this, Luke does. The dude is naked and he's running at somebody. That's freaky, right? Like that is a scary situation that you're going, naked guy, coming running, and the whole time he's running, he's yelling, Jesus, son of God, what do you want with us, right? Like, and he realizes this guy's got some demons in him. Not a couple. He says, who are you? What's your name? And they go, legion, because we're many. There's a lot of demons in this guy. And it says that he's been living among the tombs. He's been out of society for a long time. They've tried to chain him up and bind him. And even the chains can't hold him because the demons give him strength to break the chains. And he's just living in cave walls and in tombs right on the Sea of Galilee. And when Jesus runs up, the guy comes running to him and says, what do you want with us, Jesus, son of God? And Jesus says, I want you to leave this man. And again, another gospel tells us that they're afraid that Jesus is going to send them into the abyss, but it's not time for Jesus to ultimately deal with them yet. So they say, don't make us leave this region. Will you send us into that herd of pigs over there? And for whatever reason, unbeknownst to me ever, and that the gospels don't care to explain to us, he goes, sure, go in the pigs, right? So the demons leave this man, go into the pigs. The pigs go crazy and run into the water. It's insane. The video that you just saw, the picture of that, of just going the hillside that they would have run off of and down into the water. Water. It ruins the economy of this town, okay? They are growing and raising pigs. I had somebody between the services that went, hey, pastor, have you ever raised pigs? And I was like, no, I, look at me. Like, I don't think I've ever raised pigs before. And they go, well, let me tell you about it. It's not so much of having the pigs. The thing that gives these pigs significance is the babies that they have and selling babies. And so when the pigs all run into the water and drown, the economy is ruined, not because they don't have bacon anymore or ham anymore, but because they have no ability to reproduce their, their uh, uh, industry. Their herds have died. And so when the people show up and Jesus is sitting among the tombs with this man clothed and in his right mind, they're not going, look at naked guy. He's got clothes on. This is amazing, right? Like they're not concerned about him. They're going, you got rid of all of our pigs. We need you to leave. They're not concerned about the man. They're concerned about their industry and they ask Jesus to leave. But this man, when he comes and he's desperate for Jesus, he reveals this need and Jesus steps in. And the disciples again are like, have you ever seen that before? Did you know he could do that? I didn't know he could do that. Like, that's crazy. Did you know that he could, I've seen him do it with one demon. Did you know he could control thousands of demons and throw them into pigs? Like, we've never seen that before. Our view of Jesus is getting bigger and the disciples are like, I didn't know that he could do that. But in their moment of desperation, Jesus steps in in his power and he meets them right where they are. He meets this man in his deepest moment of need. But because the people are like, yeah, we don't need you here in this area anymore. Why don't you go back across the lake? So they do. They get right back in the boat and they go back across the Sea of Galilee. Probably land in Migdal or Magdala. And when they land there, they get out and the Bible says that there's a crowd of people waiting on Jesus. His popularity is swollen. He is hugely popular in this area. And so the people are waiting for him to land. And when he gets on shore, they crowd around him. And then a man, a synagogue ruler, comes running up to Jesus 
and says, Jesus, I need you to come. My little girl is sick and she's dying and I need you to come with me. Nothing else can help. I've got to have you. And so Jesus amazingly starts to go off with this guy. When you read the gospel accounts, you typically find that Jesus is at odds with the synagogue leaders and the religious leaders and the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees. And like they don't get along because Jesus is a threat to their way of doing things. But when this man comes and falls at the feet of Jesus and says, my little girl's dying, I need you to come, Jesus goes with him. But along the way, as they're going, there's this woman who's been in the middle of the crowd. And she's had this issue for 12 years that she's been bleeding. And I don't know about you, I get tired of things happening. Sometimes we read stories like this and we're like, yeah, she was bleeding for 12 years and she did it and we're like, big deal, whatever. I get tired of things after a week. Like if I've had a head cold for a week, I'm going, God, please, please just take it away, right? Like I am desperately crying out in my wimpiness to get rid of the head cold. She's going, I've been bleeding for 12 years and every doctor has not been able to help me. I've spent all my money. In fact, things aren't better, they're worse. And so now she sees Jesus and she's like, if I can just touch his garments, then I think I'll be healed, that Jesus can do something for me. And in the middle of this crowd, she goes up and we saw the painting, we saw the picture of her just reaching out and touching just the garment. And when she does, Jesus stops everything. He goes, whoa, 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 stop. Who touched me? And the disciples are in a moment of just like, really, Jesus, who touched you? Like, look around, there's people everywhere. Everywhere we go, there's people everywhere. You're in a crowd of people. Everybody's touching you. What do you mean who touched you? And he says, no, 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 this was different. Somebody touched me with faith and healing and power went out of my body. And this woman steps forward and goes, it was me. And she explains her situation and she says, I touched you. And he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. And in the middle of that, the disciples have to be going, did you know he could do that? Because <laughs> I didn't know he could do that. I mean, we've heard him talk to people before and heal them. We've heard, seen him touch people and heal him. Did you know that people could come and touch his clothes and be healed? Like, we did not know that. And their eyes are being opened to the reality that Jesus is more than they've even imagined. He's so much more. And in this woman's moment of desperation, she comes to Jesus and she says, I've got some, I have to have something that no one else is able to give me. And he meets her with his power, and he changes her situation. But in the middle of it all, Jairus is still there going, my daughter, like, that's great, but me, right, like mine. <laughs> I'm so thankful for her, but I've got a little girl that's sick at home, and she's dying. And in the middle of this moment, while Jesus is just hanging out, he's not in a hurry, he's not in a rush, he just stops and has a conversation with this lady. And then people show up and go, Jairus, I'm sorry, but your little girl died. There's no reason to bother the teacher anymore. And Jesus overhears that. And he looks at Jairus and he just says, don't be afraid. Just believe. Just believe. And then Jesus takes Peter, James, and John along with Jairus. He leaves everybody else and he goes, let's go to your house. When they get there, they show up and there's people who are mourning and wailing over this loss of the daughter. In the Jewish culture, there were professional wailers and mourners. Like this was a group of people who they got paid to show up at people's house after someone died and mourn with the family and wail and cry out loud with the family. And it was a big demonstration, right? And a lot of it was an act, if I'm going to be honest with you. We, they, they may have never even met this little girl before. They're not necessarily concerned about her. They're getting paid to be there to cry with the family. And when Jesus walks in, he's like, what are you guys doing? 
what's going on here? And they're like, well, a little girl died. And he goes, well, she's not dead. She's asleep, which sounds ridiculous. This is what they do for a living. They've seen death. They know what death looks like. They know what's going on. So they laugh at Jesus, right? And he goes, no, 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 you get out. Take everybody out. Jesus, Peter, James, and John, Jairus and his wife go into the little girl's room and Jesus just says, little girl, get up. And she takes a breath in her lifeless body and she opens her eyes. And you just have to know in that moment that the disciples are like, did you know he could do that? (laughs) Because I didn't know he could do that. We've seen him do some other things. We've seen healing before, but death, like this guy can bring dead people to life. Did you know he could do that? I didn't know he could do that. Now, I'm a big fan of the show, The Chosen. I like it a lot. I don't know what your thoughts are about it. I like it, big fan. All right, if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's amazing. At the end of this season, the last season that they just put out, there's this story. And when Jesus heals this little girl and brings her to life, the disciples go, that's it. And I was like, really? I'm watching this. I had to rewind it. Be like, really? They went, like that was it. And I was like, I don't think that's how it happened at all. Like, I like how the chosen portrays a lot of things, but like, I think in a moment when you bring somebody back to dead, they're like, got to have a change of clothes (laughs) right now. Right? Like, and they're probably grabbing each other and moving and scrambling around and chaos and crazy because a dead person just came to life. And they were like, right? Like, that's not it. Because Jesus comes in the middle of this guy's desperation. When he goes, my little girl's died. Can you do anything about this? And Jesus, in his moment of desperation, moves in with what? With a demonstration of his power. And the disciples go, he's more. He's more than we even imagined. He's different than what we thought. We thought we had him figured out, but he's so much more. And I want you all to hear in our lives today that when we think about these things, that Jesus is even more than you imagine. And that in the moments of desperation for you, that Jesus has the capacity and ability to move in with a demonstration of his power and change things in your life. And so here, if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to hear this and see this. Everything yields to Jesus because he's the creator of everything. He has power over nature. Because he's the creator. He has power over evil and demons because he's the author of truth and goodness and light. He has power over disease because he's the one that created the body and the immune system. He has power over death because he created life. Jesus has power, like we can't imagine, for every situation that we face in life. And when we see him in moments like this, We just start to understand, man, I need to trust him more. And so when we know all of this, we go, then why wouldn't I believe everything that Jesus says, every truth claim that he makes? If this is true of him, why wouldn't I believe that? And if I'm going to believe him, then what would prevent me from becoming his follower? 
What would stop me today from giving my life to him? If you've been holding that back, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you've questioned everything about him, if you don't know what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple of his, to have your life changed by him, to surrender to him, not just as a good moral teacher or an authority in some things or a Jewish rabbi from the past, but the God of the universe who took on flesh, became a man and lived among us, died on the cross to pay for our sins, to show the holiness of God. What would prevent you today from following him? He's more than you've ever known. He's more. But here's what I want us to see. So much of our lives is driven by desperation. So I want to give a warning in this. Be careful that you don't just desire Jesus when you lose all control of the things that are taking place around you and you've tried everything else. We should absolutely come to Jesus with our desperate needs. But we have to be careful that that's not the only time we come to Jesus, right? Like there are so many of us who call ourselves Christians who live in this sphere and in this place where we're like, I'm just going to handle everything I can in life until it gets too much, too overwhelming, too crazy, too sick, too dangerous, too difficult. And then, and only then when I've exhausted all of my resources and my ability, then I'll come and go, Jesus, please bail me out. Help. Desperation, right? And Jesus wants us to be people who are desperate for him. But not only after we've done everything. Jesus wants us to be people who live in desperation from him for every aspect of life. That the next breath you take is desperate for Jesus to provide it because he alone does provide your breath. That every action you take, you're desperate for Jesus in that action. That every decision you make, you're desperate for Jesus to be in the middle of that decision that everything you do in your life is guided by your desperation for Jesus, knowing that he has the power to guide you in everything and to do more than you could ever possibly hope, ask, or imagine. He's more than you've ever imagined. He's greater than you've ever known. And he's inviting us to say, step into relationship with me, not just because I'm a last resort. I want to be the first priority in everything. Now, here's the second word of caution. I have to always say this kind of stuff because I want to make sure we understand. Jesus absolutely has the ability and the capability of stepping into any need you have and changing your circumstances. But he doesn't have to, right? He can, but he doesn't have to. And here's where we trip up sometimes because we're like, God, but I prayed for healing. And you didn't do it. God, but I prayed for this to change. And you didn't do it. God, I prayed for this and you didn't do it. And God's going, I absolutely can step into those things and change that. But I also want you to see that I can bring glory to myself and glory to my Father by just letting you have a relationship with me. So the question becomes, is Jesus enough for you? Or do you only want Jesus because of what he can do for you? Like if you're only interested in what he can do for you, you don't really want him. You just want his power. And Jesus is going, I want you to know that in the middle of it all, if the circumstance doesn't change, if the situation isn't resolved, if you're not made well, you still get me. And I'm enough. I'm enough. You still get me. And at the end of the day, if you take your last breath because you have cancer and Jesus doesn't heal your body from that, you're still going to wake up in heaven and be with him. And you're going to be healed. And you're going to be changed. And he's going to get glory through your death just as much as if he had healed you and given you life. 
He is going to get glory, church. We have to have the perspective of going, Jesus, I absolutely want to lay this thing at your feet because it's overwhelming to me. It's hard for me. I don't want it. I want you to change it. Will you please? And he might. He very well might. He can. But he might not, even though he can. And we're still okay with that result just as well as we're good with the result of him healing or changing because he's going to get the glory. That's what it's all about. And so today, as we close up our time together and we think about this, we don't want to be people who only want Jesus for what he can do for us. We just want him. The question then is, is Jesus enough? And some of you are going through some really hard things right now. And I know that's true in in around our church. There's a lot of difficult things. There are probably way more hard things going on in our church than I'm even aware of. And so today, maybe this is just a time as our band comes back up, we're going to sing one last song together. But we're going to do something just a little different to close today. We're going to have people who are going to be on either side of the room up here at the front who are just going to be available to pray with you. If you're carrying a burden, if you're in the middle of a storm, if you're dealing with disease, if you're struggling over death, we want to just pray with you. The second option that you have is just to make this altar a place for you to come and pray right here at the front of the room. And just come and say, Jesus, I just need to lay some things at your feet. I've been carrying it in my own power. I've been trying to do it on my own accord. I've been trying to deal with it the way I know how, and it's not enough. But you are enough. And I'm just going to lay some things at your feet this morning. And you need to give up some control. And you need to trust Jesus with these things. And you need to go, Jesus, I don't know what you can do with this. But I believe you can do something. That's the message that Jesus had for Jairus, right? After he finds out his little girl is dead, Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. He didn't tell him, hey, Jairus, just believe that I'm going to go home and heal your little girl. Just believe, Jairus, I'm about to make something crazy happen here. It's going to be unbelievable. Everybody's going to go, did you know he could do that? I didn't know he could do that. Like all of us are going to look around and not go, oh, like it's going to be life-changing what I'm about to do. It's going to be crazy. He does not tell him all of that. He goes, don't, don't, don't be afraid. Just believe. What's the object of belief? Jesus. Hey, don't be afraid. Just believe in me. Just believe in me. And watch what I can do. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.